are episode two, Mark. Can Let's you go. believe it? I'm doing the salsa. I'm so pumped. Welcome to the bridge after hours. My name is Brock Morgan. I'm here with uh, lovely Pastor Mark Loman. Mark, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing well. You know what? I'm just thankful that <laughs> the rapture hasn't happened yet. We're here. Oh my goodness. So you're thankful it hasn't happened. Does no. that mean you're you're worried about being left behind? You know, we've joked that one of the funniest <laughs> things that could happen. Excuse our humor here. We're 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 just having some light banter here, folks. Is during this revelation series, while one of us is preaching or doing the podcast, if the rapture happens. Dude, that would be sick though. Let me ask you this, Brock. Yeah, yeah. If the rapture happened while we are recording this podcast and I'm taken away, but you're left here, mm. are you finishing this podcast episode? Oh my goodness. That is a great question. Like, will I? I'm going to just go with no. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't finishing this, but there's going to be some important things, you know, uh, to do. You know what I just- Part of it is, Lord- why was I left behind? Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, true story. I don't know if we talked about this before or not, or maybe you told me this. I don't know. I feel like I just read last week in one of the books I'm reading that the author shared that the church that he grew up in, in, his, in the basement of the church, okay, they left instructions of if the rapture happens and you're left behind, like what to do. Like, Dude, <laughs> this is maybe before your time, Mark, uh -oh. but there was a band, a Christian rock band called Newsboys. Oh, no, no, that is my time. Okay. I, I know the Newsboys. All right, because I was in high school when they started. They've been around okay. a long time. But they, So Newsboys, So they had a POD. song called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Ooh. And so I think this church stole the, the, wow. the song from the Newsboys. And, what uh, if that was our podcast intro song oh dude <laughs> we need josh to get on that hey real quick everyone we do want to give a shout out to the amazing josh fair this guy come on oh if we sound good it's all because of josh not because of us oh completely and he he had he took some pictures i have to yes. say I felt kind of good about That's how right. I looked, and it's not because I look good. Let's uh, just well, say that. Well, you did just have a fake tan. Yeah, you you told me that you. Uh... I. I <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. You need fake tans in Southern California. Yes. Hey, before we jump in, I. Uh, so part of this is we love just to banter and, and to talk culture. So you're probably hearing this uh, on a Monday morning, and I brock. So over the weekend, there was this this phenom that happened. The whole oh, Taylor I think Swift. I know what you're okay, yeah. Is it uh, Travis? Travis Kelsey. Kelsey uh, all right, tight end for the Chiefs. For the Chiefs. And here's I, I thought of I thought a really good question. So there's videos and images that leaked. They afterwards went out. So after the game. Yeah. So kind of like after hours. Oh. Oh, come on. Notice how that just slid right in there. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so they, he drove her in this like old school vintage convertible. Beautiful Corvette. old school convertible. And I was just thinking, like, there's a picture of them at an intersection, and so there's no top on this, right? What would you do if you're at an intersection, 
Kansas City and Taylor Swift just rolls up in the car next to you, just sitting there out in the open. What do yeah, you do? I would be a little. I would be a little surprised to see Travis Kelsey and uh, Taylor Swift sitting right there. Um, yeah, I don't. Have you ever run into like famous people? You know that is a great question. I only once, actually twice. How did you respond? Like, did you act <clears throat> weird? So one, Fourth um, <laughs> of July. I was meeting a friend. We're on PCH Santa Monica. Okay. Bumper to bumper traffic, like it always is on PCH. And to our right, rolled up a white convertible. I think it was like a I don't know Bentley, Mercedes, whatever. Queen Latifah. Oh, that is a good one. So Who doesn't why. love Queen Latifah? Now yeah. you did. That wasn't an opportunity though for you to like interact. But it's a similar scenario. Yeah. What'd you do? Did you wave? We tried to get her attention, but sunglasses on, music blaring. She wasn't having it. Yeah, I wasn't having it. I just wonder, because Travis Kelsey, he's famous, but he's no T-Swift. Like, did she feel like he's like, come on, baby. <laughs> Let's go for a ride in well, my I read convertible. His, his jersey Like, sales. did she feel like, oh, I'm really out here in the public. I, I Is know. this... I, I was am just I, shocked. Am I okay? They're that available. Hey, the dude's jersey sales have gone up like three hundred percent. I read uh, yesterday he's gained like four hundred thousand Instagram followers. Shut up. So ho- homeboys. Uh, yeah, but you know what's going to happen in about a year? A song's going to come out right. about this guy. That's right. Now, see, I have met, like I've met the three original Kardashian sisters. Mm. I was at a party with Angelina Jolie. Um. Here's what I did. I did nothing. <laughs> so like I hugged the three Kardashian sisters when I, we were introduced and then I just kind of walked away <laughs> awkwardly <laughs> like I don't know how to You didn't offer act. to like pray for them? No. I mean, we talked for a few minutes and it was right before a show they were getting ready to be filmed. I didn't want, I felt, I just always feel, when this happens, and it's happened a number of times, I always feel like I'm going to, like, I don't want to bother them. If I see someone famous at a restaurant, I'm not walking up to them. I saw Harry Connick Jr. uh, once, and I just, the most I could do, and I love, I'm I'm at that age where, I, I remember when Harry Connick Jr. was like mainstream pop, like my whole generation loved him. He wasn't just this kind of, oh, he does jazz, whatever. He was big time in the late 80s, into the 90s, 2000s. But I just gave, all I could muster up was a manly nod. And he gave it back to me, and I left him alone. Mm. I don't want to bother people. You know? You're playing it cool. I'm trying to play it cool. No. And Mark, you're like a minor Christian celebrity, so you probably oh, have people always no. coming up to you and asking you for no. your autograph. How, B- Brock, how many books have you written? Uh, a lot. I've written oh, a lot of books. You're the celebrity. Yeah, but not very many people buy them. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, we're 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 gonna dig in now. So we are in uh, episode two, going through Revelation. And what we want to do for this episode is basically talk genre of Revelation, really asking this question. How are we to read Revelation? So this is like going back to, 
Like, let's get in a little deeper Yes. to maybe if you were at church a couple of weeks ago, like, all right, like, let's, let's, let's dig a little deeper. Yes, we're going to go deeper. This is, honestly, this is going to be like a seminary class, but hopefully with- More fun. S- more fun, yes. Yeah, yes. you don't laugh a lot. No, in, uh, you don't. Seminary class. I remember asking questions in seminary classes, and I remember the professor looking at me like, how dare you? How dare you? Because I was just like, I don't get. And he just like, shut up and listen, boy. This is wow. this is how I felt. Like I went to a pretty, like this seminary, they took themselves very yeah. seriously. That's why you're in therapy right now, right? Oh, there's other, there's other reasons for that. <laughs> uh, okay, so here, here's what we're going to do. There, we're, we're gonna go deep right now and we're, we are on the diving board and we're jumping in. So there are, in the scholarship world, there are basically four agreed upon ways to read Revelation and, and everyone would agree to this. Like, so these, these four things that we're gonna just label here real quick, uh, these aren't ours and all scholars would hold saying, hey, yep, these are the four paradigms. These are the four ways to read Revelation. So here are the four, and then we're just going to make a couple comments on each. Um, you have the preterist position, and we don't, that's a weird word to us, but preterist is just a Latin word that basically kind of means past tense. So like I, I, I tell my wife, Rachel, like my basketball game is is preterist. Like it's it's in the past. It's, oh, for sure. You know, it's, it's, it's long gone. Uh, then the opposite of that is the futurist position then so would the futurist be like dude everything in here like we have the plan of what's going to take place yes so in in the coming years yeah so let's break down these two right away because these are pretty much opposite of each other so the preterist is going to say hey the vast majority of the book of revelation all of this happened back in the first century, 2,000 years ago, Asia Minor, Roman Empire. Now, what I will say, there needs to be some nuance there, is most many preterists will still say, hey, the last couple ending chapters of Revelation, so chapter 20, 21, and 22, uh, those have not happened yet. So all of it has taken place but the last three-ish chapters. Totally. The gotcha. opposite, which is what Brock just brought up, is the futurist. And I think maybe we could describe that as like, they just see the whole book as prediction. Right. And I would say that this is the like pop culture understanding of US, Revelation. U.S. pop culture. That's right. U.S. pop culture and underline U.S. Like, like I, I've been to churches like in England and they're like, do you guys really? Like, is that... Like they're they don't hear about the futurist totally because they are preterist for the for the most part. Yep. So this is just all of Revelation is a prediction of future events that haven't happened yet. Then the third and fourth one, uh, the third one, and we're not even sure if we're going to say this right, but it's the historist position. Um, and what this is is this would be the least common out of the four but they see different parts of Revelation as correlating to different eras of history. So like one part, oh, this has to do with when Constantine took over the Roman Empire and made Christianity the state religion. Oh, hey, this part is the Protestant Reformation. Oh, this part is, you know, when missions were exploding in America, 16, 1700s. 
etc. They there's a particular era of history that they attached to different segments of Revelation. Right. That would be the least common today, but apparently. Uh, at least in the reading I've done, that used to be a big deal. And then the last one is interesting. It's it's the idealist. And I think the best way to describe this one would be to think like Star Wars or something in that they don't think there's history attached to Revelation as much as there's like eternal timeless truths. So kind of this eternal battle of like good versus evil. And there's no particular historical situation attached to revelation as much as it's this is just true of all times all places all people kind of this cosmic star wars battle right if you will so those are the four ways that are helpful paradigms in how someone can read revelation all right let me let me just interject here mark if you had to pick could you do you like a little from each? Do you, are you, you like a smorgasbord? Give me a little preterist here, a little future here, <laughs> little idealist here. What, where would you, what All are right. you? What All are, right, we're getting real. Come on. So I'm going to give probably an annoying answer. Uh-oh. I, I, I'm a mixed breed. Okay, so you like the smorgasbord, yeah. which I like that word. It's not yeah. used enough. I've never owned a purebred dog. Well, I've always had mutts. Yeah. So I think I'm a mutt when it comes like to that. Revelation. But here, here's what I will say. I grew up in, and we talked about this last week, a futurist understanding of Revelation. And so I have become, in the last couple of years, really, really sympathetic to the preterist position, largely because of, wanting to understand revelation in its cultural historical context. Yeah. And so I do really gravitate towards that, but I'm also willing to say, Hey, there are parts of revelation, especially the last three chapters that haven't happened yet. Yeah. See what I like about the preterist is it makes for me, the Bible more legitimate. Yes. Like literally, it's written, let's say in the mid-90s, right? And then the 1990s? <laughs> Dude. All right. We're we're the, let's the, go back to the first the century. The dot-com era. All right. And if you listen to a preterist argument, they can literally show you in history. Yes. Within a hundred years of the writing, how there is fulfillment this, fulfillment this, yep. prophecy fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled, prophecy fulfilled. And you're like, oh my gosh. It you go, John and Jesus got it right. Totally. And for me, it makes me like, oh my gosh, this is legitimate. This is real. But a futurist who's like the whole thing hasn't happened yet, I feel like misses mm-hmm. the beauty of the things that have happened. Absolutely. And I think that really touches in where we wanna spend the bulk of this. And that is, so we're gonna just, well, actually, let me back up. Brock, what are you within those four? Well, I lean towards the preterist, but I actually, I could take, uh, I think there's some truth in all four of them. Yes. To be honest, there is, uh, for sure, the last three chapters are the future. We are waiting for heaven and earth to be reunited. We are waiting for Jesus to come back 
and make all things right. And that's how it ends. Totally. And it's beautiful. Like it's, it's uh, man, yeah, I, why would I ever not want the return of Jesus to, to happen, mm-hmm. right? Like it's so good. And it's such good news. There is also, and this is why I'm so excited about Revelation is, there are pieces of it that are for today in terms of practical application. So Revelation totally helps us live today. So I think there's parts of the idealism picture. I totally agree. Where there is a sense that there is timeless truth in it that helps us live as people in 2023 live out our Christian faith. And we're we're actually gonna dig into that, I think, later in the podcast as we advance through this book. So here's what we wanna do now. Um, A lot of people don't realize this, but Revelation chapter one, and not even just chapter one, but the first like four or five verses literally tell us how to read it. And it blows my mind that in all the talk of Revelation, no, I never hear people talk about Revelation chapter one, the first four or five verses. Eh, we don't really want people telling us how to read it. Oh, that's like, expensive. Stop. Don't tell like, me what to do. Come on, man. I, just, I want to read it the way I want to read it, right? <laughs> Brock, you sound so American. Uh, yes. And the whole book is about America. Oh, oh. boom. <laughs> All right, we're going to come back to that. So here, here's what I want to do. We, we've been reading a couple books that we have just found so helpful for us. Mm. Um I think one of the things that's probably important to name in this is <clears throat> a lot of people develop their theology of revelation from like pop cultural people who like aren't even scholars. <laughs> right. And then you have people who have their PhD in New Testament studies. And what's interesting is a lot of them are united on what they think the book of revelation means. And that also just gives me immediate pause. Yes. If people who spent decades studying this, who love Jesus, mm-hmm. if they're saying a lot of the same things, but that seems to bump up against the pop cultural understanding, ah, I'm probably going to listen to them right? more than like Joe Schmo. Well, I also think that there is something too, and we did talk about this in our first episode, that when I first bumped into these scholars who... uh like they know the, like they're they're like first century historians mm-hmm. and biblical scholars, and they know the language. When they read the scriptures, they can smell what the culture was like and visual like it's insane. And my I remember my Greek professor being like, "It's taken me twenty five years to get to the point where when I read the text, I feel what the author is saying." I see what he's writing. I can picture it in my mind. I can smell what I can smell the smells of the city. Like it's he's entrenched in the text. It's taken that long. And so when you have these scholars telling you something that your pastor growing up is was not like taught a very different view totally. of Revelation. For me initially, I felt well, it gets offensive. Really uncomfortable. Yeah. And a little even offended. Yeah. Well, side note, can you imagine if they came out with a scratch and sniff Bible? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, if, if, if you're reading a page 
And then you like scratch it and you can get the smell of Ephesus that comes out of Ephesians. Dude, what about like the sacrificial system, the the uh, scratches that you don't want to scratch and sniff yeah. that blood everywhere? No. No. Let's Anyways, okay. Gross. Here's what we're doing. So Revelation chapter one, we want to look at the first four verses. And and here's what we want to say. We want to say that Revelation is to be read as three things. Here they are. Revelation is to be read as an apocalyptic prophetic letter, an apocalyptic prophetic letter. And now here's what we want to do. We want to go into each of those three words, break them down, and then get into kind of the details of this. So the first one, apocalyptic, I would say in my conversations with people, this is the one that we least understand and that where all the problems arise. But in the first century, people have to understand that apocalyptic literature, both before Jesus and after Jesus, was actually one of the most common genres, but it was highly, highly unique. Okay. So maybe think sci-fi is not a perfect example. So we're not saying it's just like sci-fi. But when you read sci-fi, it can be a little weird. Right. And you know it when you're reading it. Yes. So a big thing about apocalyptic literature is that it's full of symbolism. So you don't read, I, I, Brock, do you even know of any sci-fi books? I'm, I'm not a sci-fi guy. I'm not a sci-fi guy really at okay. all. Yeah, so neither am I. It's this, we're, we're not good. Yeah, this isn't good. It was a, <laughs> that was a bad pick. That was a bad pick. We'll blame John for that. <laughs> but you don't read. So I want to cut. So one of the big things in apocalyptic literature is symbolism. So let, let's just name two. Uh, there's all these colors yes, and all these numbers yep. in Revelation. Is John just randomly choosing these things or is in this apocalyptic genre, certain colors and certain numbers are used to convey a deeper truth? Right, that the reader would read and make that connection. Yes. They would go, oh yeah, seven. So, okay, perfect. Seven, there you go. Seven is a huge number in Revelation. We'll, we'll actually, we'll use a couple examples here. You got the seven churches, the seven lampstands. We'll, we'll just use that, seven lampstands. Yep. Is the point there that each of these churches literally is like part of a candle or whatever on a menorah? Is that the point? I'm guessing the way you asked that, Mark, no. No. <laughs> Great answer. Now, what's helpful is Jesus tells us in chapter one, and we'll, and we'll get to this in our next podcast, he, he lets us know what those stand for. Oh, these stand for the seven churches. So if we read it literally, we would misunderstand what Jesus is getting at in his vision. We have to understand, oh, lampstand, that stands for one of the seven churches. Right. Now, it goes deeper, and here's like the genius of Revelation, because this is actually brilliant literature. The number seven there, he purposely chooses. We know that there were other churches in that region in Asia Minor. For example, there's a letter called Colossians. Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossia. Why weren't they included in these churches in Asia Minor. We, we, meaning we know more of, more of than seven churches in that region. We think there are at least eight or nine. But he chooses seven because that's the number of completion. And he's saying, I'm writing to seven particular churches 
But this is a message for all churches. Mm. That is where the brilliance of Revelation lies, is the symbolism makes profound theological truth, but just in a symbolic way. So all apocalyptic literature has this. This is just a known feature of the genre in the first century. Uh, colors, numbers, white takes on a meaning of purity, victory, resurrection, things of that nature. Uh, here are a couple other features of apocalyptic literature. It's very dualistic. So there's always this like epic battle of good versus evil. And then another thing that I wanna point out, and this is important for us to get, apocalyptic literature was always used to be given to people who are being oppressed. Mm -mm. That's huge. That is huge. So it was. It, it's for people who are a minority, who are being squeezed out of culture. And so we know that right away, apocalyptic literature is to actually to bring hope to an oppressed people. So when I'm reading a book written to people who are being oppressed, and I've, I'm, I've not experienced that, Exactly. We I, turn revelation into fear. Right. Or we turn revelation into something that it is not, whatever it is. Uh, maybe it's, uh, we start, our, like Jesus starts to hate the same people that we hate. Right. And we misinterpret it rather than reading it through the lens of someone who is suffering. Exactly. Who is struggling. Like, for example, we know that uh, Domitian mm -hmm. says you have to worship me as Lord and God. Mm -hmm. Now, check this out. This would, didn't apply to the Jews. Mm -hmm. Like Jewish people had a deal with Rome. Yep. They could continue to worship yep. their own God. But that did not, even though most of the Christians at the time were Jewish, once they became Christian, that rule did not apply. Correct. So now they must worship Domitian. And here's the struggle. Maybe I should just go back and be a Jew. Right. And go to Tabernacle mm -hmm. so that I don't have to worship Domitian. Totally. Isn't that an interesting, it is. like, so, so John is writing, pleading with them to remain. Yes, to stay to faithful. Stay faithful mm -hmm. because... They are under immense pressure. Yes, and, and that is also why, so the word, uh, I didn't say this, but the word apocalypse is actually the first word in Revelation in Greek. And it means unveiling. It means to pull up the, to pull back the curtain. Yeah. So what you're saying, Brock, is these people were being oppressed. They were being tempted to worship the emperor Domitian. And so what John is doing through an angel, through Jesus, is saying, hey, let me actually pull back the curtain and let me show you guys reality that will bring you hope and comfort so that you can get through this season of persecution. Mm. So I think the big thing is it's a message of hope. It is. Because I would say a lot of sermons I heard when I was growing up or even out today, pop culture Christianity, is that revelation is used for fear. Oh, big time. And so we just wanna say, actually, no, no, no. Once you understand apocalyptic literature, it's actually used for hope for those who are being persecuted. Now, I will say this. If you are the oppressor, there is going to be judgment for you. But it's written to people who are hungry and need hope. And so mm. it's a profound sense of hope and comfort. Um, okay, next thing here. Actually, no, let's do this. We did get one question that 
<clears throat> came in through our Q&A format that we want to address right now, and I'm going to pull it up on my computer. All right. So this is the first question that I love we it. are addressing, folks. Let's do it. All right, so here it is. This person writes, if in week one we learned that Revelation is a book based on extreme imagery and symbolism, are we led to believe that the end times are being exaggerated or symbolic of what's to come? Mm. So are we led to believe that the end times are being exaggerated or symbolic of what's to come? So using apocalyptic literature, I would say there, there is an exaggeration. And I would say that's exactly what John is doing on purpose. Right. However, that doesn't mean that it's not true. So, okay, so Parker's, my son's in T-ball. So I'm teaching him baseball. Uh, we, we actually had practice last night, and there, there's a kid on the team who's far more advanced. I mean, dude shouldn't be in T-ball. So he's really, he makes Parker look... Uh, not too good. Yeah. As a father, does that, uh, thanks, you feel... Thanks for bringing up that source. Yeah. Dialogue. You feel a little, like, inadequate as a father, yeah. like you haven't done your part, yeah. or do you well, feel a, ashamed of your son? I have to go back to a therapist. <laughs> T-ball has caused me to go back into therapy. Right. So I said last night, we're, we're practicing hitting, and this this kid, here are two phrases I used. He hit a moonshot. Mm. Or he hit it, he hit it a mile. Right. Do I literally mean that he hit the ball a mile or that the ball literally went to the moon? I'm gonna guess no. 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 You're exaggerating. I'm Mark. exaggerating. But is there truth in what I'm saying? Oh, big time. Yeah. Cause that kid can hit the snot out of those balls. Ooh. I did see a couple of boogers on the ball when I picked it up. <laughs> Anyways, so that's how we would answer that. There, there is, is there parts of that are exaggerated? Sure, that, that is how apocalyptic literature works. I think here's another thing to keep in mind. John wants us to use our imagination. Mm. So some scholars will call it like he's a poet. Did he know it? I think he did. I, I think he's intentionally using his imagination to get into our brains. Right. Uh, Revelation maybe is more like poetry than it is like a newspaper. To be honest, that actually, for me, like people have debated, is this really John? We talk about this in our first episode. John's writing is, he is a beautiful writer. Absolutely. And if you go to his gospel that he wrote, the book of John, you find similar poetic form. So good. And so for me, that also uh, uh, makes me go, actually, I feel like there's some, yes, it's different. It's a different style than he writes in uh, the book of John. But I, 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 it's, dude, it's the same person. Absolutely. Like, I just see it. Yeah, and that's one of the things that the older I've gotten and the more I understand the Bible, the more beautiful it gets. Yes. And I think sometimes out of us, because it is God's word, and we totally think that, we tend to skip over like the natural human literary brilliance of it as well. Mm, completely. All right, so that, that, that's apocalyptic literature. We have to get that right. You have to understand symbolism, imagination, and bringing hope to those who are oppressed. Uh, next thing is prophetic, verse three. Now, here's another one that I think people get tripped up on. 
So Brock, when you say that someone, if I, if I say, oh, that person's prophetic or that's a prophet, where does your mind immediately go? Like what's the first thing that hops into your mind? Um, I'm thinking they are, uh, they know, uh, two, two things. I have people, I've had people give me a prophetic word mm-hmm. and it's like, dude, have they been reading my mail? Uh-oh. Like they know stuff they shouldn't know and, or couldn't know. And dude, that's amazing. It's, but it's in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then my mind also goes to prophecy, which is a predictive in yes. the future yes. thing. Totally. Right. So a lot of people understand prophecy that way. And to be clear, there are elements of future prediction in prophecy in the Bible. So we are not saying that there is no future prediction. That is not what we're saying. However, prophecy in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, and John acts just like an Old Testament prophet. Like he he actually, Mm. all the books that he draws from, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, are actually called the major and minor prophets. Yes. The way prophecy works overall, is that it's more about a message for the here and now and less of like kind of a fortune telling for right. telling the future thousands of years You look now. at the, like the prophet, the prophets in the Old Testament, they are pretty like, they're calling people out. Yeah, for the here and now. Like you need to repent now. now. Exactly. It's right. for the here and now. So it's interesting. You even look at someone like John the Baptist. Mm. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus and called Israel to repent and to turn now because the kingdom is now. It's launching, it's here. Right, and he's called and what's considered a prophet. Exactly. So what's interesting is we, we know this of a lot of areas, but when, when we get to prophetic literature and revelation where John says it's a prophecy in verse three, right? we tend to read into it, oh, that's future prediction. And that's not by and large how prophecy worked in the first century. Right. It was for the here and now. And so we just want to say that most of Revelation is for the here and now and not a fortune-telling, speculative, deciphering the code in the future because that is not how the prophetic genre works in Scripture. So be careful. Be careful. Like when you're reading it, know, all right, this meant something in this at that moment in the first century to those readers, yes. something very particular John wasn't saying, I'm writing you this letter, Laodicea, but really it's for churches in 2023. Exactly. Thank you, Brock, for saying that. And that actually gets into the third one, letter, but these bump up against one another. So you just said there, so we have to understand these seven churches that it was written to, which we're going to talk about in two podcasts from now, actual churches, real churches, real people, they would have understood... Revelation. Oh, big time. And that's why the third category is it's a letter. It's called a circular letter. So this revelation would have been given, it would have been passed around by someone kind of going on the road and delivering the message to all seven churches. We think it would have started in Ephesus and then it ends with Laodicea and that follows a circular kind of uh, postal route there in Asia Minor. They wouldn't have read Revelation and been like, oh, I wonder what Russian oligarch, or I wonder this will apply to the EU 2,000 years from now. Right. 
They didn't even know about that. Like, we don't need to read this. If yeah. It's not, if it's for the church in 2024, 2025, the future church, uh, now that doesn't mean, okay, it was written to them, which means we need to do the work. Yes. How do they read it? How do they understand it? That doesn't mean that we can't, like it isn't also for us. Absolutely. It's like any other letter in the scriptures. Yeah, there's there's this great phrase that I love to say now. I forget where I got it from, but that um, the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. Boom. And I think that's extra important with Revelation. Revelation was not written to us. Like, I mean, just straight up. It, it, it was not written to 21st century Western American culture. If it were, I have a feeling that John would have said, yes! like, this is to the seven churches, but also for those reading it 2,000 years from now. Yeah. So as with any letter, it's an apocalyptic prophetic letter. We have to understand the audience and the cultural context Dude, when it was so written. important. If you don't do that, which my whole life I sat through preaches and classes and all this stuff on the book of Revelation. And they, by the way, called it the book of Revelations. Which is not, it's one revelation. It's one revelation. But they never talked about the original audience. No. The intended audience. They never brought that up. Totally. And I feel ripped. I feel ripped off. Have you gone to them to get your money back? Dude, I need to. But man, come What's up on. With that? That's a big deal. No, it is. And, and this just this has changed the game for me in terms of understanding Revelation is we just we have to get this, and we'll get into this among some other things. A huge part of understanding it is understanding the Roman imperial cult at the time. Because John, as we said in the first episode, he's bilingual, he's dealing with Old Testament language, and he's dealing with a Roman Empire language. But all we want to say in this is it's a letter. And so you have to understand the context um, of which it was written. All this, I think, can be summed up in this metaphor. A lot of people use this. Uh, you kind of want to read Revelation like a political cartoon. Mm. It has all, all, all the elements in there. Um, elephants and donkeys. Yes. Stand for a Republican Democratic Party. Right. We don't take them literal, but it's getting at a truth. It's written to like a here and now moment and there's a cultural context to it. And it's a little extra spicy. Mm -hmm. Like eh, it pokes some satire and some fun and things and it's calling people out. So it, it, honestly, it sounds weird to say, but it's helpful to read Revelation like a political cartoon. Dude, big time. I All love right. that. Here, here's what we're gonna end on. Let me ask you a question first, Bart. Uh-oh. Have you seen the movie Left Behind? Oh! Have you seen it? You know, I've actually only ever seen bits and pieces of it. Which version? Because I don't know if you know this, but there's a newer version. Seriously? Yes. There's a newer version. Have you ever seen the movie uh, uh, National Treasure? Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. He has, he ha maybe it's maybe what, three, four years ago, came wow. out with his own version of Left Behind. I did not know this. Dude, I'm telling you. Did I you, haven't seen his version. I've only seen the Kirk Cameron version. Did you like uh, National Treasure? I love I, I, I love them. And I don't I, know I why too. they're not making a third. I have friends who mock me. Dude, I love those movies. They're liking National Treasure. They're I, so good. Uh, I think they're amazing. I love them. And I can watch them like over and over. Sometimes I'm just like, 
honey, Kelsey, what are you, what are you feeling? National treasure one, national treasure two. What are you, what are you feeling tonight? <laughs> All right, let me give you two movies that are just the king of sequels that should never have been made. Oh, you mean like the sequel was bad? Well, it's just gone on and on and on. Okay. Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh my God! How many of those are there? I think there might be 10. It's insane. I feel like every year a new one I've comes out. I've only seen like two. I've only seen but one. But people are really into is, them. Is Vin Diesel still doing that thing? Or is it like someone else? He else? is. He has a oh walker my. now. <laughs> but uh. I can't. I honestly can't tell if you're being serious or not. Okay, the other one is, and this is going back to my childhood, Land Before Time. Dude. There's like Land Before Time 23. That's crazy. I didn't know this because they weren't like theatrical releases. Right. And then I was like at somebody's house and they have children and they had all these different Land Before Times. And I was like, what? Yeah, it, dude, it, it's crazy stuff. All right, Left Behind. So new one came out. Uh, what do you want to ask me about Left Behind? I don't Behind? know. Do you feel like, how do you feel like, so we talked about what it means to really get into the text, but isn't it so much easier to just watch a movie and, and kind of get a grasp on what Revelation is all about? Well, it's easier. So it, it, it is easier, <laughs> but I, I think it puts us down the wrong path. And I don't know if I can say this, but I think we need to leave behind and left behind. Mm. So there's this fascinating thing. So uh, Michael Gorman in his book, Reading Revelation Responsibly. Such a good book. Homeboy literally uh, takes a couple pages out and just has like all these bullet points on, he ba basically hashes up left behind. Like how is this kind of misleading us? Yes. Right. So he breaks it down to like hermeneutical problems, theological and spiritual problems, political problems. Um, here's an interesting one. This one's a little edgy. All right, let's hear it. But this one opened my eyes. So under the political problems with the left behind approach, his first one is that it is uncritically pro-American. Mm. It now, is interesting if you've ever talked to a friend who's not from the US and they've seen it. It's like, huh? It, here, here, here's what he's getting at is, <clears throat> we got to back up. Brock and I love America. We are so thankful for this country. Oh, big time. Uh, I think we both have family members who served in oh, some- Oh, yes. So I've gotten teary-eyed yes. at like- Love America. The national anthem. Yes, yes, so thankful we're here. But sometimes as Americans, we tend to be, we think everything revolves around us. It's kind of like ancient Rome. Yes. And like they really interesting thought to think everything about. was about them. Yes. And so a lot of people will read Revelation and they see it through the eyes of, ooh, what role does America play in this? Ooh, this war means that. And it's just fascinating because there are many other countries, hundreds of countries that exist today I think there's a verse in Revelation that says God's kingdom is made up of every tribe, every tongue, tongue, every nation. So God's kingdom is so much bigger than America. Mm. And so when we read Revelation through the lens of America, it just makes me pause. Yes. 
It's like, uh. So he points that out. Here's some other things um, that I found interesting. Under his theological and spiritual problems, he puts this. It reduces the primary reason for conversion to fear. Oh, big time. I remember growing up, people would try to get people to become Christians by talking about fear and judgment, particularly out of the book of Revelation. There is obviously a healthy dosage of fear and judgment in the Bible. Like We should fear God. Like mm-hmm. that, that the, the beginning of, of wisdom is, is a healthy fear of God. However, the point of revelation is if you, if you understand if it's bringing to bring hope and comfort to those who are being oppressed, it's not a book about fear, but people use it to guilt trip and fear people into becoming a Christian. Right. And here's what's interesting is that John is writing these letters confronting these churches. And, but he begins by saying, don't be afraid. Exactly. Jesus literally tells him, do not fear. And the scriptures over and over and over again tell us, don't be afraid. So it's almost like, well, then what does that mean? Is is what is a healthy fear versus terrifying fear? It's like it reminds me of Narnia. C.S. Lewis's Narnia is Can never go wrong with that. Is Aslan uh, uh like is he scary? And and uh, they respond, um, yes, but he's good. Yes, I love that quote. Dude, come on. Yeah, I mean, so like, I even think about, again, to use my analogy, my son, I want him to have a healthy dosage of fear. Like, I want Parker to know that if you cross a street, you got to look for cars and, mm. and you should be scared of cars. Yep. What I don't want, though, is Parker to love me and hug me just because he's scared of daddy. I want him to love and hug me because I love him. Mm. So there is a place for fear, but there's a greater place for love. All right, next one. This one is good. He talks about um, a left behind approach to revelation leads to an escapist mentality where pretty much people don't care about the here and now. It just becomes focusing on the future. Right. That is so entrenched in U.S. culture, where I was, I didn't know anything about life after life after death. Did I say that right? Life after life after death, yes. Life- Uncle Tom. After life after death. So like, it was just about heaven. Yeah, Get to heaven. It's about getting to heaven. There's that saying, uh, Christians are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. Right. So this idea of actually, Let's just say you die before Christ returns. Well, guess what? You will return to, to earth. earth in a physical resurrected body. You will yes, forever. And he will reign forever and ever and ever on earth and heaven and earth will be reunited. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. No one we, taught me this. Same here. The point of revelation isn't to escape this earth. It's actually to bring heaven to earth. Yes. And so we'll, we'll get into this later, but at the very end of the book, the new Jerusalem, the heaven, heavenly city comes down to earth. Oh, come on. That will make us preach. Dude. So 
there's, there should be zero escapist attitudes or postures from reading this book. It's a book right? for here. And the reality of thinking that Jesus comes back in the sky and then we escape into heaven with him, what about him? Like, I thought the whole, his whole kingdom was coming to earth and I'm missing that in that teaching. Like, that is such good news. Well, that, that okay, that, that one relates, we'll do one more. Uh, so he writes this, it reduces discipleship to faith in Jesus's death in order to be left behind or, or destroyed, evangelizing others so they won't be left behind or destroyed, blah, 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 blah. Pretty much what he says is it reduces the gospel to just God, Jesus, and a get out of hell card so that we can get out of nowhere. And there's no instruction or teaching for how to live now. Right, yeah. And that was kind of what I grew up in. I, I don't want to dismiss it too much because we did talk about following Jesus. We did talk about being salt and light. But ultimately, when we ever we talked about salvation, it wasn't to something. I wasn't being saved to something, to a mission, to represent and extend Jesus's reign, to be salt and light in that sense. It For me, it was really about escaping to heaven, going to heaven, not being left behind. And it was scary. I was scared. Well, I, I distinctly remember one small group in high school. Someone told me, um, it was the leader, he was like, oh, I just can't wait to get to heaven. And we're just going to be playing music the whole time and worshiping. <laughs> Yes. I think I was like a sophomore. And you're like, dude, that sounds and terrible. I didn't have the courage to say it out loud. But inside I'm thinking, well, if that's heaven, that sounds incredibly boring. I do not want to go there. Right. But what if heaven came here and it was heavenly, but very earthy? Exactly. I, I love uh, a little boy asked N.T. Wright, who's one of our theological heroes, will my dog who died be a part of... Uh, heaven when heaven comes here to earth. And Tom Wright looks at this little boy and goes, oh yes, everything good in this life makes it to the next. Come on. And I just was like, oh my yes. gosh, I love the grace of that. Like, yes, everything the physicality good, of it. Like the goodness of this life. What do you love to do? Surf? Dude, it's there. Like, it's earthy. It's very earthy. We're not floating on clouds. With a harp in our hand. Like, boring singing services for the No, we're living the way we were intended to live. Well, and what people miss on that, too, is there should be an element to surfing where you can worship God with your surfing. So, so like, like we, we separate those Dude, things. Yes. There are earthly things where everything I, sh I do every day, whether it's going down to San Clemente and surfing, I can do that for the glory of God. Oh, you told, well, it is. Like w surfing, for me, I'm surrounded by his creation. I become aware of yes. his presence, his pleasure in me. Yes. Dude, I love, dude, it is, it is. Except when Christ returns, I think we'll be able to surf without a surfboard. Ooh, <laughs> I'll, I'll end on this. I'm not sure. If my dog, if I want my dog to go to heaven. Well, your dog isn't good. I have a 12 and I, pound I, I'm, I'm wondering if Rachel is listening. Oh, no. But this dog, from what I understand, 
is uh, may not uh, may yeah. not make it. Yeah, there's a whole other story. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap this up, folks. We uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we are gonna be releasing every Monday morning once a week. Um, here's what we want you to do. If you enjoyed this, if could you share it on your social media? Give us yes. a like, follow us, um, subscribe, subscribe, rate and review, all that kind of stuff. You know what to do. That really would help us out a lot. And then send us your questions. Uh, we actually got a new question literally just as we started this podcast, and so we'll address that one in the coming weeks. So give us your questions. All that stuff's in the links. Brock, closing words, last Dude, minute thoughts. This is so good. It's so good. Hang in there with us if you're struggling, because I struggled with this whole kind of understanding revelation versus how I was raised. And, and honestly, it took me some years. Absolutely. So it, uh, hang, just hang in there, and it's okay. Yeah, ask it's questions, okay. dialogue. Take uh, your time. There's grace here. We can disagree with one another. Completely. But yeah, we're in this, so we love it. We love you guys. You guys are awesome. And we'll see uh, next week. T Swift and Kelsey. Dude. Are they still going to be together next time we come she together? She just got to shake him off. Oh, Brock, real quick as we close, give us the prediction. How long does their relationship last? Not long. Month? I'm not a big fan Six of months? Travis Kelsey. He's a great football player, but dude is a player. Uh oh. And uh, this isn't going to. Right. He just goes through the. I mean, so does she. She kind of goes through the people. That's right. It ain't, it ain't lasting. All right. Don't hate on us, folks. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Grace and peace.